Greetings. My name is Dale Sadler, and I am the minister of the Birdwells Chapel Church of Christ in Cottontown, Tennessee. Thank you for watching. There are other ways you can be a part of what's happening at Birdwells Chapel. We have a children's Bible class and songs organized each Sunday. We also have a Facebook Live Bible discussion. Currently, we are discussing the book of James. I hope you'll tune in for that. Links to these can be found on our website at birdwellchapelchurchofchrist.com. We also have a midweek Bible study, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Until then, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If there was ever a passage in Scripture that helped to encourage people in difficult and uncertain times, it would have to be Psalm 23. Considered by many to be a very beautiful passage, it encompasses all that a person needs to consider during almost any trial in life. Written by David, most likely when he was king, this short six-verse psalm takes us through a narrative of someone who might have just begun a difficult time and who needed reminding that God was with him. David, of course, was no stranger to difficulty. Having overcome many obstacles in his life, he was a man after God's own heart. But he struggled quite often. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and this resulted in an attempted cover-up and death of her husband. Later, David's child from this adulterous relationship died, and this was, of course, very difficult for David. David's son Absalom rebelled against him in an attempt to take over his throne, so David's family, David's life was not without its difficulties, to be certain. Let's look closely at Psalm 23 and see what detail can be found in this beloved passage. Verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. David, having been a shepherd before he was king, undoubtedly understood the intricate relationship between a flock of sheep and its shepherd. Sheep are very sensitive animals that can do nothing but run in the face of danger. Notice that David did not say that God was his dictator, his boss, or his oppressor. But no, rather he called God our Heavenly Father. He referred to Him as His shepherd, a more personal term that carries with it a meaning of love and caring. In John 10, verses 11 and 14, Jesus clearly spoke of Himself as the Good Shepherd who gives His life for the sheep and who can say, quote, I know my sheep and am known by my own. Hebrews 13, 20 speaks of Jesus as that great shepherd of the sheep. And 1 Peter 2, 25 calls Jesus the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And finally, 1 Peter 5, 4 calls Jesus the chief shepherd. It's remarkable that the Lord would call Himself our shepherd. In Israel, as in other ancient societies, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all jobs. If a family needed a shepherd, it was always the youngest son, like David, who got this unpleasant assignment. God has chosen to be our shepherd, David says. Jesus became a human, and God says, He is a shepherd just so He can take care of you and me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It is an obvious job of the shepherd to care for his sheep, to give them what they need. The sheep look to their caretaker for everything, and they know that if they need it, the shepherd will supply it. But if they don't need it, the shepherd will keep it from them. 
We should trust the shepherd, our shepherd, this much. The statement, I shall not want, is both a declaration and a decision. I shall not want because God is going to give me all that I need. I shall not want because God blesses me and knows what I need and therefore will keep what I don't need away from me. Have you decided? Have you decided that the Lord will give you all that you need and that you need nothing more? This is a decision to be content. You might not have the best of everything or the latest of everything, but do you have what you need? Paul told the Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 11, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Being content is a decision to be satisfied with what you have and to look for blessings from God that are all around you. Once you begin practicing this spiritual discipline, you shall not want for anything again. Moving on to verse 2. Well, since I'm not wanting anything, what is it that the Lord does for me? Verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, He makes me rest where and when I need to rest. A sheep doesn't always know what it needs and what is best for itself, and so it needs help from the shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd knows when we need rest. Perhaps that is a blessing of this quarantine. Many of us are getting some much-needed downtime. I know people would like to get back to work. I certainly would like to see that. But once things get back to normal, hopefully we will all maintain a regimen of rest. Hopefully we see the value in it. Rest that rejuvenates us and gives us a physical and emotional break so we can always be at our best. Rest that focuses us to look around and notice the wonderful world we live in. Philip Keller in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, writes that sheep do not lie down easily. They will only lie down if four conditions are met. Sheep are timid, so they will not lie down if they are afraid. Because they are social animals, they will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. And finally, if sheep are anxious about food or they are hungry, they will not lie down either. Rest comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. God can deal with these things for you as well. He can help you not be afraid because you know who is in control. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When you believe that God is protecting you, there is no need to fear. If you have conflict with someone, reflect on the teachings of the Bible to solve the issue. Go to the person. Pray about it. Speak to the person. Take people with you that have your best interest in mind. And resolve the conflict. Don't let it fester in your heart. Don't let it make you a bitter person. But rather deal with that conflict when you have friction with someone else. Does God help with flies? Well, He helps with things that irritate us. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34 says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God does help with food also. 
We wonder about this sometimes because our favorite peanut butter or cereal seems to be out at the stores these days. But Matthew 6.31 says, Do not worry then saying, What will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? In our modern society, we have grown to depend on large companies to bring us food. There was a time when a man knew how to simply walk out his door and get what he needed. Most of our country has lost this, but you don't have to. I have a garden, and because of that, I appreciate the fruits of the ground that come from my work, that come from the beauty of nature that God has blessed us with. And perhaps you live on a, on a small place and you're not able to have a large garden, but you can look and see the blessings that God has given us in nature. And perhaps create something small, something that you can be proud of, something that you can tend to and, and actually connect with. Because there is a, a spiritual component of that. As God has blessed the fruits of the ground, and whenever you connect with that, you can see God, even then, working in your life. The shepherd knows when the sheep need green pastures, and he knows when the sheep need still waters. I am always at peace when I am on a mountain trail next to a roaring stream. Perhaps it's because water is a source of life, or perhaps it's because of the noise, the calming effect of that. Or that the waters I go to have trout that I enjoy catching. Whatever the case may be, quiet waters have a calming effect for most people. God wants us to enjoy that peace on a regular basis. Not just when we're out in nature, but He wants us to have peace in our life regularly. And do you enjoy that? Are you able to connect with God somehow and be at peace? I hope so. Verse 3 says, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Let's break this up as we have the other passages. First, He restores my soul. This is the result of the first two verses. We trust in God, He cares for us, and He ensures that we get what we need. And this has a restorative effect. Too many of us don't get restored because we work all week and don't take the required rest on the weekends. We're not looking for that peace. We're not experiencing it. And I know because I struggle with it myself to make it a priority. But I have done it enough that I know that it works. What type of restoring do you need actually? In Hebrew, the word meaning restores my soul can mean Bring me to repentance. Do you need rest? Do you need repentance? Do you need to turn away from sin and start moving towards God so that you can enjoy the calmness that this passage speaks about? In either sense, there's the notion that we are returning to God. If by repentance we are changing or by rest, we are being rejuvenated in order to get back in a calm relationship with God. When we repent... We can lie down in those green pastures and feel good about God, where God is leading us. And where is He leading us? In the paths of righteousness. This is where we should want to be. This is where we will receive the most benefit. Righteous behavior that keeps us out of darkness. That keeps us out of sin. That keeps us out of pain. Because David trusted in God as his shepherd, David says God does this for His name's sake. Don't you love our Heavenly Father's name? 
It hurts me when I hear people take His name in vain and use it just as, a, as, as an expletive to express themselves. God's name means so much more than that. And we should treat it better than that. Because it is by His name, through His power, that we're able to enjoy this life, this peace, this satisfaction, this contentment that so many people are struggling to find through, through things that they do on a daily basis when all they need to do is turn to God. God's motives come from the fact that His nature is pure and holy. We must see the blessing of trusting in God and doing all things in His name. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is the first mention of darkness in this passage. Previously, David wrote of green pastures, still waters, and of righteousness. Positive things. But now, things are taking a dark turn. Dark valleys that have the shadow of death in them are scary places to go. This is a very accurate depiction of where someone is emotionally or spiritually whenever they feel like they're in a dark place. Other natural areas and settings cast a calming effect. But a valley suggests that you are about to be captured. You are surrounded. And even in the brightest of days, a valley with a canopy of trees above it can be very dark. David wants to point out here that when we follow the Lord as our shepherd, we can still feel safe in even the scariest of places. And even though we are in the valley of the shadow of death, what can we say? Well, David says here, we will not fear evil. Notice that the shepherd's presence did not eliminate the presence of evil, but rather the fear of it. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff were instruments used by a shepherd. The idea is of a sturdy walking stick used to gently as much as possible guide the sheep and protect them from potential predators. With these two items, a shepherd could defend against predators and discipline the sheep if necessary. And whenever a sheep needs to be disciplined, he knows that he is in uh, the right place, that he is being protected by the shepherd and feels better for it because whenever a sheep is doing something that he shouldn't and is then disciplined, he might not realize it at the time, but certainly we as humans can realize that when we are disciplined, it is for our good. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now the first part of this passage. You prepare a table before me. Still in the valley imagery possibly, David pictures good things given to him by God. The shepherd has invited David and us to a well-supplied table. David gives a beautiful picture. The table suggests bounty. You've got to have a lot of room to place all the food that you'll be given. And the passage also says that it was prepared, and this suggests foresight and care on the part of our shepherd. And he sets it before me. And this suggests a very personal connection. Imagine your Thanksgiving table, for instance. There's more there than you could possibly eat, but it's there for you. 
because the host wanted you to have all that you could and more. Perhaps you'll try something new this year and find a new favorite, but you'll definitely eat what you've been looking forward to. And if the item you wanted most isn't there, it kind of hurts like you weren't thought of, doesn't it? But God always supplies our need, our very personal need. God has not only the ability to provide for us, but to also protect us. Even though our enemies are at the door, we can sit down to this table knowing that we are safe. The next part of the passage mentions anointing our head with oil. An anointing of this sort isn't something we commonly do today. But in biblical times, it was very important. It went beyond those simply giving food to doing something that blessed the guest you were serving. A host would anoint a guest's feet or head as a sign of respect and a sign of sacrifice on their part because the oil or perfume that was used was rather costly. Jesus mentions this practice in Luke chapter 7. The final part of this verse in Psalm 23 says, My cup overflows. Even though things might not be going great in a dark valley, you enjoy the blessings of the shepherd because he is still providing for you more blessings than you can even use. And that cup is just overflowing and hopefully you are using that abundance to bless other people as you can. Now this passage, Psalm 23, wraps up in verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So because you follow the shepherd, good things will come. What good things? Goodness and loving kindness. Things that will last. Because you have devoted your life to the shepherd, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This dwelling symbolizes protection and continued blessing. How do you become a part of the Lord's body today? Well, you must be baptized. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. So then those who had received His Word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Added. Added to what? Added to the church. Added to the body of Christ through baptism. This and other passages mentioned. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 says... For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. You see, the church is one body. It's not many bodies. But it requires an action on your part to be added to the body of Christ, to be added to the church. It requires a change in your heart. It requires faith. It requires belief in God. It requires belief in Jesus. Belief in the Holy Spirit so that you can live for Him. And if you want to find out more about your eternal soul, about salvation, contact us at the Birdwells Chapel Church of Christ and we would be happy to study with you.